In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night and beheld the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And in the mind, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear, was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying, dreadful, and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and then the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair on his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued, and it came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court set in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to the burn to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of the heavens, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all of this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the thing. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all of them, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth and iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke into pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up before with, with three of them fell. The horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all the kingdoms and it shall cover and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it into pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them, who shall be different from the former, and shall put down three kings, 
He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times and a half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment and and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey them. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the the matter in my heart. Valentine's Day for all you. Men, there's still time. There's still time. Well, uh, I want to begin by just praying for us as our congregation and uh, starting our time off in the word with a prayer for us. Let's pray. God, we love you and I thank you for the people that you have brought here across from Harvest Church. Lord, It is not by mistake. Uh, You have not messed up our addresses. You have not messed up our locations. Simply, you have um, sovereignly and in your goodness and power uh, brought us to the very place. And Lord, right now, I don't know what what we're all feeling, but there's many different things that could be going on in our lives right now. And and I just pray, God, that you you would give us comfort and peace as we come to your word this morning. This morning, as we look at Daniel 7, that our hearts would be reassured of the goodness of God, of his people, that we can have hope in this world that is dying, that in the midst of all the chaos and the pain and the suffering and the turmoil, God, you can still be God. And Lord, I want to lift up people who are are going through tragedies in our congregation, who are going through uh, suffering, who are going through pain, who are going through death, who are going through sickness as we just read the text. But uh, this morning, the main point is what we're going to learn is this, is that God would be victorious in his judgment of evil and in his deliverance of his people. God would be victorious in his judgment of evil and in the deliverance of his people. Uh, This past week, I was kind of interested. I was doing a little research, as you know, on the Google, if anybody has ever heard of this, is... um, of what was the most play, what has been the most replayed song, um, and so a couple of articles have come out, and and I looked at this one, and you could probably debunk it if you want to, but it seems like a plausible, uh, plausible um, assumption to make, or a conclusion to come to, is that uh, the article I was reading was based on songs that were released from 1958 to 2018. That's a lot of songs, right? 1958 to 2018. And their conclusion after doing an investigation and their estimation is that the most played song of all time is The Twist by Chubby Chubby. Anybody know The Twist? <laughs> I, I, do not know, I do not know The Twist. Cer- certainly, uh, it has something to do this and but, yeah, but Chubby, <laughs> Chubby Checker has the most replayed song from 1958 to 2018. Uh, you know, I, I certainly if you don't know the song, you 
you've certainly heard it. I can remember hearing the Swiss for the first time in the local skating rink in Pineville, Louisiana. And so, I, you know, I, I think we've all heard the Swiss. So it's been replayed over and over for, what, that 1958? That's 60 years almost. So it is the most played song, replayed song, over and over these past year, 60 years. So it's become a staple in music history, right? It's become a hallmark. Everybody knows the Swiss Singer. Everybody knows the Swiss. And so it is has notability and notoriety, and that's undeniable with that. It ke- keeps getting replayed over and over again. And interestingly, we could call Daniel 7 the Swiss of the Old Testament or of the entire Bible. Is that Daniel 7 is an iconic and notable chapter, not just in the book of Daniel, but actually in the whole Bible. And just to give you some kind of statistics, is that it is Daniel 7 is actually referenced, echoed, alluded to, at least over 60 times in the New Testament itself. And so it becomes a hallmark chapter of the Bible, one of those mountain peak chapters that continue to get widely used by New, by New Testament authors and even Old Testament authors throughout the Bible because it is that important, it is that notable, it is that essential to what, what we understand about Jesus Christ himself. And so this chapter is going to be big, particularly in our understanding of Daniel and in our understanding of of the Bible. And so chapter 7 is a transition in the book of Daniel, is that we have so far gone through chapters 1 through 6, and we've heard all these great stories about Daniel and his friends and how he's, he's shown faithfulness in exile when he's in the presence of a king. It's all the, uh, all the stories that VeggieTales was able to do, because VeggieTales is not going to be able to do chapter 7 through 12. It would freak kids out. And so VeggieTales is able to do 1 through 6, Chapter 7 going on, they're like, ah, give up on Daniel. No, we can't, we can't make Tom and Larry say those kind of things. And so uh, we're going to get a lot of different, uh, Bob, sorry, what did I say, Tom? Bob, Tom, Philip, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know what the, the best word to name. And so, but, uh, but we're going to get some psychedelic information here in the next couple of chapters. In, uh, in Daniel. There's going to be dreams, there's going to be visions, there's going to be rams, there's going to be goats, there's going to be angels, there's going to be all these different kinds of things that are coming out. But here, here's what we need to get clear, is that even though the genre apocalyptic may come in from Daniel 7 to Dan- Daniel 12, even though the genre may change in the book of Daniel, the message of Daniel does not change. It still continues and still uh, persists through the book of Daniel. And that is this, is that Daniel is still calling us as people who live in a foreign land, to live faithful to their God. is what does it look like to live faithfully in exile in a foreign land? That's still the message of Daniel 7 through 12, even though it's going to be communicated in a different way than we've, ever, than we've seen in chapters 1 through 6. And so I want us to see how does Daniel 7, in the, this kind of crazy imagery, apocalyptic imagery that we're going to see, how does it contribute to that overall message of what does it mean for us to live faithfully in a foreign land. And so we're going to look at a couple of different characters that come up in, in Daniel chapter 7. And the first one is this. first one in your outline is the beast of the sea. The beast of the sea, verses 1 through 8 of chapter 7. And what we're going to learn from looking at the beast of the sea, I'm going to go ahead and put the cards on the table for you, is that we should not be su- surprised that evil will exist in this world until Christ returns. We should not be surprised that evil will exist in this world until Christ returns. 
You know, what's interesting is that sometimes, even in our own language, we, uh, we characterize people and their traits and their habits and their tendencies in animal-like terms, right? We, we characterize people as animals sometimes. You know, you might say, oh, they smell blood, right? Or, oh, man, there's a shark in the water. Or they're ready to pounce. Or, um, or they're going to eat you alive, right? Those are all kind of common phrases that we use, but they are, are really attributed to people, but they're animalistic tendencies, right? To eat people alive, smell blood in the water, there's a shark in the water, or something like that. Is that those are animalistic tendencies and metaphors that we use to describe people and their actions and how they operate, right? Well, what's interesting is that Daniel in Daniel chapter 7 is using these same kind of metaphors and allusions to, to animals, to beasts, to describe people, to describe humans, to describe kingdoms and how they operate and how they interact. Is that they're being described as beasts and it's not kind of apocalyptic uh, look at these beasts. Is that we could go crazy trying to investigate who these beasts represent. You know, are they Greeks? Is it Rome? Is it Babylon? Is it North Korea? Is it Russia? Is it your, you know, the, the you know, senator, you know, from this state? Or is it whatever? You, you could begin to go crazy with who these beasts recognize. Oh, it's the credit card companies. Oh, it's the big tech companies or anything like that. If you do that, you're going to miss the point of what Daniel 7 is trying to communicate to us. When you're trying to investigate of who these, particularly in our world, represent. I'm sure Daniel 7 wasn't talking about Visa credit card companies, right? And so I think what we need to understand from Daniel 7 is that Daniel 7 is trying to communicate to us a pattern of what and how our world operates. A pattern that there is evil kingdoms, evil kingdoms and evil empires rise up in our world. They rise up and they overtake other evil kingdoms and evil empires. And then God intervenes and shuts them down. And then God's people endure. And we've seen that historically, but we've also seen that biblically historically, right? Is that you look up at Egypt, is that the superpower is Egypt and Pharaoh, right? And what do they do? They rise up and they think they're the king of the world. They suppress a people, an evil empire. And what does God do? He intervenes and he saves and delivers his people. And then he brings his people out and he gives them basically Egypt's riches, right? And so Daniel 7 is communicating to us this pattern, is that beasts arise, they overtake other kingdoms, they take power and authority in their hands, they suppress God's people, God intervenes, God saves, and then God's people ultimately win in his victory. So that's what the beast and uh, all these, this imagery is communicating. It's a pattern of human history. Well, just, just look at where these beasts come from. They come from the sea, right? Is that this... This wind, these winds from all around the earth come, and they're hovering over, over the great sea. And this is where these disfigured super beasts come from. And by their looks and where they come from, it kind of communicates what's their purpose and their intent. So where they come from is the sea. And in the Bible, the sea is a bad thing. The sea is an object of chaos that can't be controlled. That, that's what it, 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 the sea means. Um, you know, what's interesting is the new heavens and new earth, there is no sea in the new heavens and the earth, what Revelation 21 tells us. So the sea is a picture of chaos and calamity. And this is where these beasts come from. And they're disfigured and they're, 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 they're gross and grotesque, having ribs in their mouths that they're eating. And so by their looks, 
And by their, their location where they're coming from, it's saying they're not here to do any good. And they get uglier and uglier as they come out of the sea, right? You know, one starts with, you know, a lion with wings. Wings are plucked off, and he's standing on his hind legs. And you got a bear who's got ribs in his mouth, and he's told to devour all the flesh. Then you got a leopard that's got, like, four wings and four heads and things like that. And then you've got the fourth beast, which is the worst of all, right? The worst of all. And so these things continue to get uglier and uglier and uglier and more terrifying and terrifying. And I think there's an intentionality behind that is that we see as these kingdoms arise and they take over other kingdoms and these horns uproot other horns, is that we see that evil empires don't necessarily get better, right? They, they don't necessarily progress in holiness or, upright or righteousness or anything like that. Evil empires progressively get worse. And another evil empire takes over another evil empire. And another one takes over another evil empire. Is that these things get worse. Evil kingdoms seem to get worse and evil doesn't sit stagnant. They continue to worsen and get worse day by day. Have you ever have you ever had that day where you would consider your worst day of your life? Anybody remember that? Just the worst day. And you almost remember saying to yourself, how could this day get any worse? And then it starts raining on you, right? right? And then you lock your keys in your car. And then something else happens, right? It's like, there's, you feel like you've met your maximum, right? It can't get any worse. The, the worst has happened here. There's, I've hit the roof on worseness, right? It's not a word, but I just made it up. Worseness. I've hit the ceiling on it. Well, this is the, this is the kind of message that Daniel 7 is wanting to communicate to us, is that evil doesn't have a ceiling on its day. One evil empire overtakes another evil empire, and it keeps going and going. It keeps progressing. But why are they why are they told why are we told about their looks, their disfigurement and their weird kind of, you know, Daniel could have just said they're just a bunch of beasts and they looked weird. But he tells us about their their features about themselves. What are they? Well, they seem to be these disfigured beasts who they don't look like regular animals, right? And What's interesting is that we already have some allusions to Genesis 1 here. So, you know, beasts happen in Genesis 1. We get the sea that happens in Genesis 1. We get winds covering the sea, just like it's happening here in Genesis 1. And so Daniel 7 is like a parody of Genesis 1, where Genesis 1 is the ideal on how God creates his beings and his animals and things like that. But here we get a, we get a distortion of Genesis 1 in Daniel 7, where these animals are grotesque. And they're evil, and they're, they're eating things, and they look weird. They're distorted. Is that Daniel seven in the you know describing of these beasts is saying, this is not how it should be. This is this is messed up. Creation is out of whack. It's out of order. It's run amok here, and you can see this in these beasts being disfigured. They are the anti-creation. They are not operating as God intended for them. And so, who are these beasts? Well. The interpretation tells us this, and, and if you start looking in the last verses, 18 through 35, we're told when Daniel's like, who are these beasts? He says, these are kings, and these are kingdoms, right? These are actually kings and kingdoms. He's come, and he's defied God by speaking against them. If you look in verse 25, you see that 
who shall speak words against the Most High, and he shall wear out the saints of the Most High. So he's come to speak arrogantly against him, to defy him, to take him down, to take Yahweh down. And so we've also seen this from from some of the characters in Daniel. We saw Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar raise themselves up. And you know what happened to them? One was humiliated and made like a what? Anybody remember? He was made like a beast of the field, eating grass. And then the other raised himself up, and guess what happened to him? He was annihilated. Belshazzar. So these kings, they raise up because they're like beasts. They have not come to be neutral. They've come to ravage the world as for God's people. And I just, just to pause for a second, I think it's really, really interesting that people are presented like beasts. Because I think in our worst case scenario, when we give over into our sin, is that people can reduce themselves to metaphorical animals. That sounds really big and really fancy, but basically what I'm saying is this. Sometimes in our operation, how we interact with people, how we react to people, we are becoming less human and more like animals. So let me give you an example of this. Paul warns us against this in Galatians 5 by using animal terms, by using animal language, by saying this. Galatians 5, 14 through 15. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And here's, here's the warning that he gives to us. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Is this not animal language? Bite, devour, consume. Basically saying is that when you operate in your sin, you become more like an animal and less like the human that God made you to be in his image. And you operate in your sin. And that's what these beasts are doing. They, they care about power. They care about authority. They don't care about people. And they suppress people and they harm people. And this is what Daniel sees. The, these beasts coming up out of the sea to do damage and harm to God's people and God's world and to defy God. These kings. They want to be king of the world. They don't want to submit to the king of kings. Okay. And so, here's the application for us. Why does Daniel feel like he needs to write this down for us? Why does Daniel feel concerned that he needs to write down this vision and tell us about these beasts coming out of the sea? Why does he feel the need to tell us that what they're doing and what they look like and things like that? Why, why does he feel like Israel, Israelites in exile need to know this vision, need to know this dream, this crazy dream that he's having? Why is it important? I think it's this. So that they can be prepared. So that they can be ready. So that they aren't naive about this war. So that they aren't caught off guard. The kingdoms of this world are in defiance against God and his people. The world is not our friend and evil does not take a day off. It does not take a day off. So do not be deceived, people. That's for us as well. Daniel 7 is written for us too. Do not be deceived. The world and its kingdoms are not basically good. They're not getting better they don't have good intentions. They're progressively evil, progressively disoriented. And we've seen that in the course of human history. Evil shows its face sometimes. And sometimes it is on public display and big. 
right? If you want to think about the genocides that have happened in world history, just consider a couple. You know, the Islamic State, ISIL, committed a genocide of the Yazidis, which are 10,000 people. You think about Rwanda and the genocide of the Tutsis, 800,000 people. And then you think about the Holocaust, 6 million people. And you tell me that our world is getting better. Our world doesn't take a break. It doesn't binge on Netflix and stick two days in its nose. It's just there. And it's to be expected by God's people. They are not here. The world and evil is not here to coddle us and be our friend. They're saying it's okay. We'll take care of this. This is why Daniel says, do not be deceived. This is the problem with the world. It's bad. And so before we begin pointing the fingers and say, you're right, Wes, you're right. That's evil over there. That's evil over there. That group of people is evil. That institution's evil. That state is evil. That country is evil. As one author said, we need to look for the beast that lives within us. Before we point fingers and say, yeah, that's a beast over there. They come to kill, steal, and destroy. We need to be aware that we can sometimes live and operate like we live in the beast economy that these, that these represent. Is that we must be aware that in our own sinful nature, in our own sinful dispositions, we want to take power. We want to take precedent. We want to take over people. We want to step on people. This is the beastly inclinations within us. And apart from Christ, we live in that kingdom. We live in that beastly kingdom, and we operate like animals, not like the image of God that God has made us to be. But this is what is so good about the good news of Jesus Christ, is that the kingdom that we lived in apart from Christ was darkness, animalistic, evil, and desires to put people under our own regime. But God in Christ Jesus has come, has delivered us from the domain of darkness, what Colossians 1 says, and transferred us over into the kingdom. One day Christ will return. He will judge the living and the dead. He will punish all evil. And he will cleanse his world from sin. That is our hope. And that is our destination in this world, ransacked by by evil and desperation. And so as evil progresses in our broken world, we have to understand that it has a court date. It's got a judgment coming. And that's what we see from the second part of Daniel's vision. This is point number two. The God of the courtroom. The God of the courtroom. We have the beast of the sea, and now Daniel's vision turns to the God in the courtroom. God will judge evil and will receive worship from all people. Has anybody ever felt out of control? Have you ever been in an experience where you have just felt out of control and helpless? Maybe it was a car wreck, uh, or maybe you were babysitting a McKay boy. That's parenting for the McKays the whole life. It's out of control. You feel helpless. Everything is out of your hands. Uh, I mean, basically, it's a train that is going that nobody can stop. It's uncontrollable. It's a runaway train off the tracks, and it's just causing chaos and mass destruction and you're just it's like it's you know those experiences where it feels like it's happening in slow motion and all you can do is watch 
right? You, you can't do anything about it. You're, you feel helpless. You feel vulnerable. There's no, you can't grab the wheel and stop it. It just keeps going, and you keep just walking, right? You just walk it. It feels out of control. It feels like there's no end in sight, and you're just stuck. I have to assume that this is how Daniel felt in his point of view, being exiled in Babylon. And I, I would assume that maybe some of you feel a little bit like this in the world that we live in. And if you watch, if you, if you see anything on your phone or you watch the news or you read the newspaper, maybe you feel like, golly, look at all this terrible. It feels like a runaway train that ha- has no end in sight. I have to assume that Daniel felt the same way as an exile in Babylon. And so what we're going to learn in these next verses is that it may seem like evil is uncontrollable. It may seem like it's a runaway train that nobody can stop. But God will easily put down evil in his timing. Let's consider this. So Daniel's vision turns away. This is starting in verse 9. Turns away, and now he's brought into a courtroom. And he is introduced and observed two supernatural figures that we're going to to come across. And his mind is opened, and he sees things that he can barely put words to is that ultimately what he, what he comes to see is that there's this ancient of days. What a beautiful title. Expressing the eternality of God. There is no beginning and there is no end to him. The ancient of days. And that there are thrones in this room, presenting it as a courtroom in a sense, and he comes and sits on the bench like a just judge does, right? And he's characterized as being White hair and clothing that is white, indicating his purity. He's got a fiery throne and flames surrounding him, indicating his justice and his judgment, right? The throne room was filled with innumerable innumerable amounts of people. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. All at his disposal, all at his service. the ancient of days, with the court, with the heavenly court, they sit down in judgment, and the books are open, indicating that recompense is about to take place, and judgment is about to be distributed. This is the ancient of days. This is who he is, and we find out that he is not indifferent to the evil that the beasts are bringing out in this world, that he is not... He is not turning his eyes away. He's not apathetic to to the chaos that the beasts are causing in the world that he's created and that is going towards his people. No, he will deal with it. He cares about this world. And so what does he do? Look at the first thing that he does. Is that we already found out in verse 8 that one of these horns, uh, they had like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. And some of your translations may say great things, maybe say arrogantly or boastfully. What, what we're finding out is this, this horn was prideful and arrogant and was speaking in defiance to, to the Most High, as we saw in verse 25. And so I just think it's really interesting here. It says in verse 11, I looked and then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, while he was speaking, basically, and as, and as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed. You ever been slapped by your mama mid-sentence? Like, 
you didn't you didn't even you didn't even weren't even able to get the first couple of words out because she knew she was a prophet basically she knew what you were about to say was stupid she knew what you were about to say was disrespectful she knew what you were about to say was mouthing off right so before you could even get the you know get the get the sentence out of your mouth you already had four impressions on your cheek like this yeah that's how this kind of feels here with the king He's speaking these boastful comments, arrogant comments against the Most High, and right there, while he's still even speaking, he's killed, and he's thrown into the fire. Done with. God does not put up with defiance to his glory and to his name, and he will not put up with these kings who think that they are the kings of God. And so not only does he just kill this fourth beast, he he strips the dominion and the authority from the other beasts. He takes it from them. He allows them to live, in his, and it is Yahweh. It is God himself. And so this son of man isn't just a normal man like anybody else, but he is also divine. He is the Messiah. He's riding on a cloud. If your car says anything about you, man, doesn't riding on the cloud say a lot about you? We put a lot of stock in what we drive. But here the Son of Man, he is riding on the cloud to express his glory and his dominion. And so this Ancient of Days gives the Son of Man and presents him with all glory, dominion, and a kingdom. And so everything that was stripped away from these beasts is now given to this Son of Man. And the Son of Man now deserves, deserves the worship of all peoples, every tribe, tongue, nation and language is to bow down and serve this son of man what adam lost in the garden his glory his dominion has now been given to the perfect adam the perfect son of man this one here in daniel 7 and so they all people are called to leave their allegiance to the beastly kingdoms and come and serve this king and this kingdom of the son of man because guess what This kingdom does not end. It lasts forever and ever and ever. It will not be stripped or taken away from him. It will not be stolen. He will not be uprooted. He will not be overtaken. He will not be usurped like the other kings and the beastly kings of this world. The Son of Man's kingdom will stay forever. And so, again, I ask the same question that we asked in the last service. Why do we need to know this? Why do we we get this written report from Daniel of what he has observed of the beauty and the glory of the ancient days and of the Son of Man? Why is that important for us to see? I think one of the importance of this to see is this, and how the ancient of days deals with the, the evil fourth beast is that God does not look at evil with indifference. God does not get desensitized to evil. He does not become apathetic to evil. He does not become careless about evil. Therefore, neither should we. Neither should we. Again, I know it's everywhere. I know it's in the papers. I know it's all over news channels. That's how how news channels make money. They make the world sound really terrible. And partly they're right. But it should not desensitize us to evil. That's just what happens. God does not look at evil with indifference. 
people want to just have peace judgment. And so even though evil may seem uncontrollable, it's a runaway train that, that just can't be caught, that won't have an end, it will come to an end, as we see in how the ancient days deals with that history. Evil kingdoms may advance for the time being, but they will not ultimately win. Their day is coming. They've had their heyday, and their actions will not go unnoticed. One author said it like this. God serves as a judge now. Empires and their kings do not rule independently of God, but exist under his meticulous sovereignty. Believers, therefore, should be full of hope that the last word of the ages belongs to the Most High. The last word of the ages belongs to the Most High and not to any evil king on earth or earth. And this Son of Man, anybody know who he is? Good. The, the Sunday school games are actually worshiping him. Jesus. Is that the most common phrase that Jesus uses of himself is not the Christ, is not Son of God, is not God in flesh, any of you? Not Emmanuel. It's the Son of Man. It's the Son of Man. That's what he commonly calls himself. Because he sees himself and is the fulfillment of Daniel 7. He is the Son of Man that has been given all dominion, glory, and honor, and kingdom that will never end. He is the one who will ultimately bring the devastating blow to evil kingdoms of this world. And he's done it miraculously and surprisingly through what? His own death. Is that in that moment at the cross, when it seems like evil kingdoms had won, in the moment at the cross when it seemed like evil had won, that's, that's, that's what the disciples had to have understood at that point. Jesus died? I thought he was the son of man. I thought he was the son of God. I thought he was the Christ. It looks like evil had won. But Jesus defeats evil by his own death and resurrection. So in the moment when evil seems like it's won and it's had its heyday and it's going to last forevermore, Jesus puts it down in a miraculous way. Not through conquering territory, not through swords, not through shields, not through armies, not through any way that we think of how we conquer. But through his own life, death, and resurrection. And now he has a kingdom that is and knows no end. Jesus is the son of man. And what's beautiful about this truth is that what we're going to learn in the next couple of verses is that the victory that the son of man accomplishes and his life, death, and resurrection, and the glory of the kingdom that he receives, he now shares and invites with his people and his saints. And that's point number three. So we've seen the beast of the sea, we've seen the God in the courtroom, and now we'll see the saints of the kingdom. Saints of the kingdom. Is that God will ultimately deliver his people and give them the kingdom. Fine, so that you can see how close you are to ending. That's what personal trainers it's part of their job. That despite the hard work that you're putting in, despite the sweat that you're going through, despite the pain that you're feeling all over your body when you're working out, is they're trying to encourage you to see the end in sight, to see the finish line, that you don't have much farther to go. And for the exiles in ba Babylon and for us, all generations of Christians, Christians, is that Daniel 7 is intended to be this personal trainer for us as we read this text is that it is intended to encourage us that despite the pain, the turmoil, and, and, and the suffering and persecution that we go through and may go through in this life, is that 
there is a finish line. There is an end in sight. And this will not continue forever. It will not. You will experience suffering from the hands of evil human kingdoms, but God will ultimately come in justice and and bring his kingdom to his people. And so this is where the chapter ends. So starting in verse 15, going all, all the way through verse 27, is that Daniel receives insight into his vision and what he has seen. And one of the things that continually get repeated throughout this interpretation of this vision is one, is that he continues to bring up uh, this angelic supernatural being who's describing and interpreting his vision, is that this fourth beast is going to cause great havoc on this world. He's going to trample things. He's going to crush things. He's going to devour things. And not only that, he is going to wreak havoc on the people of God. Verse 25, as we already read, not only does he defy God with his words, but he wears out the people of God wears them out. He makes their lives hard and burdensome by changing times and laws. And they'll be given into his hand for a time. So he'll, this fourth beast, this king, will have some authority for a time. These evil kingdoms. And they will make it terrible for God's people. Beat them into a pulp. This will be the experience of the saints of God. But the hope of this is that it will not last forever. It will not last forever. Is that the encouragement is, is that this has been the pattern of human history. Is that Christians go through different times of peace, maybe, safety. And then there are other times where it is very difficult to be a Christian, or maybe even in different locations. So Daniel 7 is reminding us that this has happened before. Isn't that encouraging? That's the question that we always ask when we're about to start a new situation or something like that. Has this ever happened before? We find some reassurance and peace knowing, oh, this has happened and this is how it's turned out. Well, this is how it's happened before, is that God's people have gone through pain and suffering and trial and persecution in this human history. Early church, even back to God's people in Egypt. And what has been the outcome in those scenarios? God has reigned. And God's people have endured. God has triumphed in the end. That God has intervened. And his people have preserved. And so that's why he says, okay, in the midst of all this trial and persecution, he says three times in verse 18, that the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. Verse 22, until the ancient of days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. And verse 27, and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the, mo- of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So he says this three times over and over. So in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the tribulation, guess what? The saints of God will endure. The saints of God will endure. They will make it to the end. God will see that the victory that the Son of Man has won, we will take part and enjoy it forever. It's going to happen. And this is the sobering truth for us. The hope of this is sobering. There's hope for us. What a sobering truth. 
days when all, all seems lost. Hope is gone. Darkness is overcome. The spirit is fading. And suffering just seems unbearable. Here's the truth in Daniel 7, 18. evil kingdoms rise, God will conquer. They will bring lots of chaos and destruction, but God will keep you. God will what? Conquer. So that those days when you think that you can't hold yourself together, those days that you think you can't get out of bed, those days that you feel like you just don't have enough strength, that you are going to throw the towel in, that this will be the day. God will keep you. God will keep you. That is the truth of the perseverance of the saints, is that God will keep us until the end. He will sustain you. He will strengthen you. He will care for you. He will love you. He will guard you. And the pain, it's going to be there. It's going to happen. It's reality. But there is, there is an end to it. There is an end to it. There is an end to corruption. And all what we need to do is that God is not calling us to fight, pick up swords and spears and, and fight against the evil kingdoms. That's not, that's not what, what God tells Daniel to do here. Fight back. No. What he tells him is this. That the ancient of days through the Son of Man has done everything that needs to happen to sustain you through persecution and suffering. That God in Christ Jesus has already done everything that you need in order to sustain you and keep you through tribulation and emotions. Think. That's what John says. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God I'm going to call the band back up as they lead us in our last song but I want, I want to offer you this as we think about pain and suffering and the beastly kingdoms of this world that promote evil and corruption and are sinister and seek to destroy the people of God and seek to defy God's glory and God's name. Is that cross point for us is this. Is that if you are in Jesus Christ, you have everything that you need to sustain suffering, persecution, trial, and tribulation. Is that you have everything you need. Is that now you live in a kingdom of love and kindness and joy and peace and grace and forgiveness. And you have a Savior who has experienced the pain and suffering. And he has defeated the kingdom of Satan by his death, burial, and resurrection. That is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That is the hope that we have. Is that in Christ Jesus, he has defeated every evil superpower. And that one day they will be put underneath his foot. Forever. But this morning, you may be sitting in a different kingdom. In a kingdom of darkness, 
under the ruler of the principalities of these nations, living in darkness, walking in light. And this morning, I want to call you that kingdom will only destroy you and will only lead you to a very, very scary place, and that is the throne room of God where the books will be opened and you will have to give an account for what you have done and for the kingdom and the things you have sold. And that king and kingdom will, will fail you. That is the kingdom of darkness. But this morning, Jesus offers you his kingdom that you do not have to buy, that you do not have to invest in. You don't have to buy stocks in. He's offering you his kingdom that he has purchased through his own blood. And he says, in this kingdom, it is better. Yes? There will be sufferings in this life, as Paul says in Romans eight eighteen, But the glory that is to come outweighs the kingdom of the beloved son is better than any kingdom that this dark world can offer. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for the opportunity that we come get to come and just celebrate of the kingdom that, God, you have brought us into through the work of your son, Jesus Christ, and by the work of your spirit in us. It is a kingdom of peace, joy, love, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And we can celebrate in that. We can sing about that. We can pray about that. We can worship about that. We can give, God, because of what you have done. That the Son of Man has come. He has been given all glory, dominion, and power. And I pray that we be his people in service to him and his kingdom. Lord, this morning, show us all to repent of where we have maybe operated underneath the beastly kingdom. Our ways and our actions, our thoughts, and our speech may have been more characteristic of the kingdom of the darkness rather than the kingdom of heaven and God. God, help us by your spirit to live in light of that kingdom and serve his kingdom as we sing this morning. Let's sing this song of prayer and consecration.